0: Well, it's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, it's good to prepare our hearts with you as a church family for a great Easter celebration that's coming up. And uh, if you're a guest that's visiting with us today, we are blessed to have you. Well, we've got a new guest over here. I had not seen this guy in a long time, Jake Pittman. It's great to have you back. I know your mom and your wife and your kids are glad to see you. Been working out of state for quite a while. But if you're a guest that's visiting with us and it's your first time to visit, or maybe you've been coming just a couple times and, and uh, you've never filled out one of our guest cards, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, we're, we're not going to bug you, harass you. I promise you, we're, we're not those people uh, because we don't like those people. So we're not going to be one of those people. But we just want to know who you are and know that you're here. And uh, so if you'd fill one of those out, you can fill it out, leave it laying there in your seat. uh, Or you can take it to the Welcome Center and they'll give you a a little, just a gift uh, to show you our appreciation for filling that card out. But uh, it's great to have you with us today. If you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 26. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Matthew 26. If you don't have your Bible... Uh, download the app real fast on your phone because I have spoiled you guys rotten and always put the verses on the uh, screens for you and this morning I did not. And it is not because I'm lazy or I overslept, it is because we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And so I want you to follow along in your Bible or on your phone. Uh, While you're finding that, just a reminder, Easter is just a few weeks away A lot of exciting events coming up. listed there in the handout you received when you came in. And uh, we uh, still have a need for volunteers for that weekend, Easter weekend for the egg hunt. We still have a lot of opportunities for you to serve there. And also our Easter services. We'll be having services on Saturday night and Sunday morning. Uh, And it takes a lot of volunteers to make that happen and so I encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out if you haven't volunteered to help in one of those areas. Also today is Feed the Need. Our church has partnered with the Conway Ministry Center Uh, today. uh, We have people right now down at Walmart uh, that are gathering food uh, for the hungry in our community and those around our community as we partner with Conway Ministry Center to do that. Uh, there's information uh, basically it's just people dropping off food items there are people receiving those uh, loading them in a truck and all that and and so there's information at the bulletin about the items that are needed they're at walmart so it'd be handy for you to uh, if you go in pick up some things for lunch or for dinner tonight just to uh, grab a couple of those extra items drop them off there Our people uh, at the At the truck, but you don't have to shop from Walmart. I mean, we have not partnered with Walmart. And so you can get those anywhere, and the items are back there at the Welcome Center. There's a card that you can pick up on your way out. And so appreciate all that are volunteering. They're taking a chance of being out in the rain today to do that, but uh, God's good. Well, we're in week three of this series that we're calling Instead of You. And in this series, we'll be. in this up through our Easter celebration. And the main theme of this series and, and, and what we've been looking at are the events surrounding the trial uh, of Jesus, the events leading up to the trial, the actual trial a- and uh, the crucifixion. But in all reality, what we're see- seeing in this series, if you haven't been with us, is each week we're taking a look at the events that are unfolding there and we're, we're looking at that we are actually the ones that are on trial. We are the, actually the ones that Jesus is going through this for. And so as we look at these events and we study them and read them, we should see ourselves in the story, as a part of the story. And it should cause us to closely examine what our response to what Jesus did for us is. Alright, and so in week one we saw that we're, we're Judas uh, and, and how we all have a price that we are willing uh, to sell Jesus out for in our lives. If we're honest, you know, we would say, well, we're never Judas, but in all reality there are a lot of things that we sell Jesus out for in our lives and in our families. And so we, we talked about that in week one. Last week we saw that we're Peter. Uh, often convinced that we're on the right team, right? That uh, we are one of the good guys who has the right to use the sword of judgment on the bad guys for those people that are on the wrong team. And we have every right to judge them and use the sword of judgment on them. And we talked about that last week. This week, uh, I want to uh, show how the four primary characters in this next series of events uh, involved in the trial, they also represent us as well. Now, you they may not represent, represent you in each person. They may or may not represent you in all four. Uh, but this morning, I believe that you will be able to identify, if you're honest, you will be able to identify with one of the groups in our story today and possibly more. So I want you to be looking at where you are in this story today, all right? Because you are there. Jesus took your place in the story, and so it's your story. And so who are you in the events that we're going to be looking at? And again, uh, uh, we're, you know, the story recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew uh, is rather lengthy, and so uh, just follow along in your Bibles. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week and start at verse 57 this morning. It says, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. All right, And so Jesus had made it clear that he was talking about his body. Yes, this was actually a statement that Jesus had made. Right, But they, they knew that in saying what he said, that he was talking about his physical body, not the actual temple. Okay. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this they would have gasped because they would have recognized this being from the prophecy of Daniel in the Old Testament. Right? This was a reference to something that Daniel had spoken in the Old Testament. And this coming on the clouds of heaven is this Jewish image of the deity of, G, of the Messiah coming. Okay? And, and so, verse 65, Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now let's flip over to chapter 27 and Pick it up there, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Skip down to verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? "'What shall I do do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' Pilate asked. "'They all answered, Crucify him.' "'Why?' "'What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. "'But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him.' "'When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, "'he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. "'I am innocent of this man's blood,' he said. "'It is your responsibility.' All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And if you study these events more in depth and you look at what historians wrote uh, and Bible scholars uh, write uh, uh, about uh, this whole trial and what's taking place here, uh, you you will learn that this... This trial, these accusations, what's taking place here was nothing more than a framing of Jesus, right? It was a huge scam and an unjust prosecution. None of the events of this trial, scholars tell us, was done in a manner that was consistent with the rule of law of that time or the judicial process of their day as to how that would have taken place. This It totally uh, disregards how they would have done this. Uh, But don't miss this. It had to be done this way. He had to be framed. It had to be unjust because there was no way that Jesus' conviction and crucifixion could be brought about by his own sin. There was no way he could ever be convicted for crimes that he had been committed. And so this was the only way. That this could have happened. He was without sin or crimes. And and so it was your trial, again, that he was going through. It, It was your trial and my trial. He was convicted and he was prosecuted and he was executed because of our sin and our crimes and not his own. And so another thing about this unjust trial process that we see taking place here is Jesus, in his trial, was, don't miss this, he was identifying with every single one of us who would ever face injustice in our lives. Right? Every one of us who has ever felt betrayed. Every one of us who has ever felt like we've been overlooked every single one of us that has ever been abused or mistreated and it was out of your control and there was absolutely nothing that you could do about it, we're learning here that Jesus knows exactly what that is like. And He entered into it to show us that He stands with us in that and not only that, but one day He will redeem us and deliver us from that. And so the, it's good news what we see Jesus doing uh, for you and for me. And he stands in your place. Which leads us to the four kinds of people that I want us to focus on this morning here uh, in the trial. And see if you identify with any of the four, maybe, uh, maybe more. The first is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the ones that we see uh, first here in the passage that we've read. And the Sanhedrin hated Jesus because they were envious of him. They hated Jesus because of his popularity. They hated Jesus because uh, he had uh, had grown to have some authority. He had huge multitudes of people uh, that were following him. He had become, think about this, he had become who they wanted to be and they despised him. They were threatened uh, by him and his presence and his power. It threatened their power, right? And so they wanted him gone. And it's easy for us, you know, to sit back and read this and look at them and, 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 and judge the, the, you know, the bad guys like we talked about last week. You know, uh, we shake our heads and discuss because we like, you know, no one in our church would ever have done anything like that, right? I mean, we would have never have done what they did. But here's the deal. I I stand up here week after week after week, time and time again, presenting you with the fact that Jesus wants control over your life. He wants control over your life. Not only does He want it, but Scripture tells us that He demands to be Lord of your life. And many people leave here every single week. And you can leave here today and you can turn it off and not think about it even anymore. And you can even pat me on the back on your way out and say, great message, Steve. Because you know what? It's not like I can force you to choose. And you know that. I can't force you to make that decision or or to actually choose. And and you can leave Jesus at church, so to speak, this morning when you walk out of here and not even think about Him or come back Him again until you walk in here uh, next Sunday. But what if, what if you were actually pushed? What if you were actually pressured? What, What if you were put in a situation and pushed to the point that Jesus and your control over your life could not coexist together. What if you were pushed to the point? Yeah, what if you were pushed to the point of deciding, Jesus gets total and full control and access or you get to keep some control for yourself. And what if you were pressured today to make a decision? The Sanhedrin, they thought of themselves as, as the good guys. And Jesus kept insisting that they weren't. And so his presence meant that they couldn't hold on to their position of pride, that they couldn't hold on to their control, and they were forced to make a choice it's going to be us. Instead of Jesus. It's going to be us instead of Jesus because we want it our way. Not His way. And so they executed Him. And they killed Him. And again, you can hear the same message uh, today and leave here and not deal with it. But the Bible says... To ignore the message that Jesus must be Lord of all is the same in God's eyes as consenting to His execution and His death. And don't miss this. The Sanhedrin, this group of people, are mainly composed of religious people. Church folks, religious people, Rule followers who had the rules down pat could check them off and tell you which ones you weren't following. They were the good guys on the right team, the good team, who just don't want Jesus to be in control. They want to be in control. And I wonder just how many people are just like the Sanhedrin who are sitting in churches. All around this world today. Decent people. Religious people. But scripture tells us there's only two categories of people. There are people who are totally sold out to Jesus. And allowing him to truly be Lord over their lives. Or there are people who are resistant to him. Resistant to his lordship, resistant to his control and his authority in their lives. There's only two kinds of people people who are committed and people who aren't. Second person that we see here is Pilate. And here's the deal Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. I, I mean, it, it, it's crystal clear here. There's no doubt that he knows that Jesus is innocent. Pilate knows the truth, but don't miss this. He's unwilling to act on it. He knows the truth, but he's unwilling to act on it. He knows that he's being manipulated by these Jewish leaders, but he's trying to avoid a riot. (laughs) And if you look at his history, you know that Pilate is really on thin ice right here anyway. As, as the governor, because he's made some really dumb decisions up to this point, and his poll numbers were really bad, okay? And it wasn't fake news, all right, His poll numbers were bad. He was tanking. Uh, he, he was in danger of being, you know, removed as governor. And, and so the Jews had grown to hate Pilate. They despised him. They didn't want him to be their governor. And so they were just looking for a reason, Right? They're just looking for a reason to riot, and he knew it. And so Pilate, really, in this situation, he's just trying to save his own skin. He's just trying to save his own job here. Because his job was more important to him than what might happen to Jesus. Hello. Hello. His job was more important to him than a relationship with Jesus and what might happen to Him. But honestly, is there anything more important? Is there anything more important than the decision that you make about Jesus and how you respond to Him? You know, many people today are, are, are more concerned about being successful in their job than where they're going to spend eternity. Hello. It ain't comfortable in here, but it's the truth. What do we do with the truth? What did Pilate do with the truth? He ignored the truth. I guarantee you, 100 years from now, 100 years from now, the only thing that is going to matter to you is how you responded to Jesus. A hundred years from now, that's all that's really going to matter is where you were in relationship with the Savior and with Jesus. Pilate represents the person who knows the truth about Jesus, but, you know, he's too distracted with other things right now to really... Take him seriously. And if that's you, I pray today that you would see just how foolish that is for you. I've seen too many people that thought they were going to live a long life, live to be an old man or an old woman, thought they were at least going to live through tomorrow, never to see it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you truth. I'm telling you reality. I've stood over many, many caskets right here of people that didn't think they were going to die. It's just truth. What do you do with the truth? So why would anyone gamble? Why would anyone gamble with their soul like this? So don't be so distracted that you ignore Jesus and the truth. Brings us to the third person that we see here on uh, down around verse 20. There in chapter 27, we're introduced to Barabbas here. And I believe that Barabbas might give us the, the clearest picture in all of the Gospels of what all of this is really about. <laughs> what it's truly all about. Barabbas, he was a bad guy. He, he was a bad man. He, he was a thief. He was a murderer. He was a modern-day terrorist. And everyone knew how evil he was. And that afternoon, by the choice of the crowd, Jesus died and Barabbas walked free. Think about Barabbas here. (laughs) He woke up that morning thinking that he'd be dead by sundown. But instead, he's having supper with his friends. And this strange man that they call Jesus, who was nothing but sinless and perfect goodness, is hanging on his cross in his place. Barabbas was the very first person in all of history who could truly say, Jesus died not just for me, but instead of me. I would uh, argue today that we're all Barabbas. (laughs) We are guilty. We are the sinners who have been condemned. But Jesus, a man who was perfect, a man of perfect goodness, died in our place, and He took a cross that was meant for me and was meant for you. Which also helps us understand, I believe, why Jesus remained silent through all this. You know, why did Jesus refuse to answer these charges that were being made and brought against Him? I mean, think about it. Anyone who remains silent in the face of accusations that are being made against them and makes no defense of that basically is admitting their guilt, right? I mean, any judge would tell you if someone comes into a court and they choose not to defend themselves, then they're admitting, you know, guilt in that moment. But Jesus wasn't guilty of what they were accusing him of. He wasn't guilty, you know? So why did he remain silent? Because Jesus, as he faced those accusations that they were were throwing against him and saying about him, those accusations of guilt, right? The fingers that were being pointed at him in judgment of him, he knew that they weren't really being pointed at him because he was just a substitute. He was just taking the place of Barabbas and Barabbas's sin. And oh, by the way, your sin. And it was an accusation that he willingly took because he knew that we were guilty. And so he pleaded guilty in your place and in my place for your guilt instead of you. And what's curious about this story, and I've always wondered, I don't, you know, we've seen movies that depict Barabbas... Uh, And kind of how he reacted and how he responded after this. But the Bible doesn't really give us a clear picture of what happened after that point. You know, we we don't know how Barabbas responded. We don't know if he turned to Jesus in that moment and said, you know, holy cow, thank you. You know, thank you. You know, I owe my life to you now. I I owe everything to you now. You know, we, we don't know his response, and I believe the reason that we're not given a picture of his response in the scripture is because it presents to us a question. As Barabbas, what do we do? As Barabbas, what do we do? What is our response to what Jesus is doing and what he has done? Will we fall on our knees and worship and Gratitude or will we ignore the fact that it was our cross and he died instead of you? Because of Jesus, you were spared. And that brings us to uh, the fourth person in this story that we haven't mentioned yet. I want to go back to though and that's Judas. Judas. Why did Matthew just kind of tuck this story of Judas's suicide right here in the middle of all this? I mean, it kind of makes you wonder. You know, it's kind of out of the blue. It kind of breaks up the flow of events that's actually taking place here in the story. And I believe that maybe it's to show us what every person who rejects Jesus is basically doing to themselves to kind of give us a picture of everyone who rejects Jesus, exactly what it is that they're doing to themselves. We either choose Jesus' offer of life or we choose self-destruction. We choose one of the two, either or, and the decision is ours, just like the decision uh, was Judas's to make. And I think it's also included here to show us how unnecessary and how tragic Judas' death was. When Judas realized what he had done, and he tried to give the money back. I mean, you can see here, he realized uh, the magnitude of what he has done, and he tries to give the money back, but they won't take it, and he can't. And so Judas is assuming here at this point that he probably could never be forgiven, and there was no hope for him whatsoever. He was hopeless. There was no hope for him. But don't miss this. He was wrong. He was so very wrong. And I tell you that with confidence because Peter had also betrayed Jesus, right? And, and last week we saw, uh, in fact, that every single one of the disciples fled and forsake Jesus, and each one of them would be forgiven. Each one of them would be forgiven. But Jews, Judas thought that what he had done was way too bad. He was the exception. His life, his past was so much worse and he had done so bad he never understood the fact that Jesus had come for sinners like him. That's what his life was all about. That's why he came. He came for Judas. He came for Barabbas. He came for sinners like that. But Judas, you know, he was hopeless because he didn't believe That what he had done could ever be forgiven. He didn't understand that Jesus' death, as bad as it was, Jesus died for him. (laughs) Jesus died for Judas to free him and deliver him from his guilt, to free him and deliver him from his shame, to free him and cleanse him from his sins. And I believe that there are a lot of people in our world today that feel the exact same way as Judas. Maybe someone here today, and and you think that you have done so much damage, there's no fixing it. And, and, And you've made so many mistakes, and you know you, and you failed yesterday, and so you're just destined to fail tomorrow. And that's who you are, and there is no hope for you because God right God can never really forgive you because you were so bad and you've done so wrong and you know that you don't deserve it and so like Judas you've just been going through the motions when all in all reality you feel hopeless and you feel helpless but Today, you are here because God wanted you to see. Jesus wants you to see that He hasn't given up on you. You've given up on yourself. But He hasn't. He hasn't given up on you. His grace to forgive... Is greater than we could ever understand. Huh. His power to make you into a new person is more than we can imagine or comprehend or understand. Listen, listen, here's the deal. Believing the gospel, okay, accepting Christ as your Savior is this it's coming to a point where you realize I'm a sinner. I'm Judas I'm Barabbas it's coming to a point knowing that and understanding that but also coming to a point of understanding that you are more loved and more accepted than you could ever imagine and yes you may have made a mess of things and it may be worse than you even think but there is still more hope for you than you ever dreamed because of the power of Jesus to redeem and restore and make new but Judas he couldn't he couldn't wrap his mind around that because we can't wrap our mind around that kind of love that kind of grace and so Judas here he he couldn't perceive that and so he killed himself and here's the tragedy of that. In doing that, he cut himself off from the only real hope that was out there. Judas felt hopeless, like there was nowhere to turn. But there was. <laughs> he missed it. You see, Judas felt like that he, he had nowhere to turn. He felt like there was no hope. He felt like there was no help. But he was so Wrong just think about just think if he would have waited three more days if he would have waited three or four more days, Jesus was going to come out of that grave huh, with the power to forgive him. He, he was going to come out of that grave with the power to restore Judas. As a child of the king. He he was going to come out of that grave in just a few days with the power to make all things new. And Judas quit too soon. (laughs) Jesus has the power to rebuild from the ashes. Lives that have been ruined by the worst kinds of sin. He has the power to do that. And I wonder if Judas would have just waited three or four days to see what God was up to, to give God a chance. I mean, think about it. Imagine if Judas had waited, and he ran into Peter. He's like, Peter, man, I messed up so bad. I messed up so bad. There is no hope, Peter. Peter. I've done the worst of the worst. I betrayed Jesus for money. And they won't take it back. And there's no fixing it. And there's nothing that I could do. Peter would have said, Oh, but there is. Because, Judas, you don't know. But I betrayed him too. Three times. I denied him and I betrayed him. And then he resurrected me, he found me, and he forgave me. (laughs) And Judas, he's looking for you. Because he wants to do that for you, too. But Judas robbed himself of that opportunity. He robbed himself of the chance to experience God's grace by making the decision to take his own life. Listen, there is hope for every single person in this world if you've got a heartbeat. As long as you're taking breath into your lungs and your heart is pumping blood through your veins, there is there is hope. He's looking for you too. And he wants to forgive you too. This morning, you've seen through this powerful story where the only hope that you have in your life is truly found. And the, the kind of hope that can put <laughs> things back together And make all things new. You know maybe you've never really understood. The magnitude of what Jesus has done. And what he went through. Instead of you. But today you get it. Today. You understand it in a way like you never have before. And you understand that you can't do life. Without Jesus. Because in a hundred years from now. It will not matter how successful you are. What your house looks like or what kind of car you're driving, the only thing that will matter 100 years from now is where you stand in relationship to Jesus Christ and how you responded. Put yourself in Barabbas' shoes this morning. He went to your cross so that you can walk free. How do you respond to that? And we're not talking about this morning an actual physical cross. No, there wouldn't have been a physical cross that you would have had to, to bear or to, to be crucified on. We're talking about life. We're talking about life for an eternity. See, he, he embraced what hell was like. We saw a few weeks ago, He experienced hell in your place instead of you. Because you don't have to. And He went to the cross to take that death that eternal death upon Himself so that you can have life and have it eternally. So this morning, how do you respond to that? What is the response? Maybe this morning you've seen yourself in one of these characters, maybe the threatened, maybe the distracted, and you see now who Jesus is and you're ready and willing to surrender. Today, I want to give you a chance to do that. I think it would be foolish to present to you a story like this, an event like this, and not give you an opportunity to respond to that. So this morning, while you bow your heads and close your eyes, before we close with the time of prayer uh, this morning, I just wonder if there would be someone here today willing to take a chance to see what Jesus has for you and your life. And so this morning, if you've never accepted Christ before as your Lord and Savior, With every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you this morning, if you want to receive Him, if you want to respond to Him and make Him Lord of your life today, would you just lift your hand and hold it high so that I can know? I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else would just respond and say, it's the only way I can respond to what He's done for me is to give Him the rest of my life. Anyone else? (laughs) This morning while we close in prayer, I would just uh, ask those that did lift their hand. (laughs) There's nothing special that you have to do this morning to receive that forgiveness and accept it other than just ask Him to forgive you. Ask him to make you new. Receive him into your heart and life and let him be in control instead of you being in control because you've seen how you control things don't always work out so well. And so this morning, you can make that commitment right there where you sit. Even if you didn't raise your hand this morning, a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer of surrender, acknowledging. That Jesus is the Son of God. He went to the cross and He died for your sins. Three days later, He was risen. He now sits at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. Basically, as your lawyer pleading your case. Huh, that's awesome. If you believe that, accept that, receive that, then God's Word says you're a child of King. You've inherited the eternal riches of heaven so this morning we celebrate with you the Bible says that when one gives their soul when one person gets saved all the angels in heaven rejoice and there's rejoicing taking place right now but I'm also going to tell you this those of you that have prayed that prayer and made that decision and there are some here this week that did last week you made the decision last week I'm going to just tell you his word says the next step for you is to be baptized he says repent and be baptized it's the next step of faith That he asks you to take. And the devil will defeat you. And tell you what you did was not real. Until you take that next step of faith. That's the next step for you. And so on Easter weekend. That Saturday night and that Sunday. We've already got about a half a dozen people. That are coming to be baptized. If you would like to be included. Please come see me. Contact me and let me know. We would love to celebrate that with you. On a special resurrection weekend. This morning, as we close together, we're going to close with a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to come. Maybe God spoke to your heart about something this morning you just want to come pray about. Maybe there's somebody that you want to come pray about, a situation that's going on in your life or your family, or someone that you love uh, that you want to pray about. This morning, I'm going to ask my brother Barry to come forward. He got some some bad news from a doctor this week, and we're just going to pray over him. And if some would like to come pray over Barry this morning, we're going to anoint him with oil. God's Word says that uh, we're to pray for healing, anoint people with oil, and call the elders of the church together to pray for that. And so uh, we're just going to pray over Barry today. But if you'd like to come this morning, I invite you to come, we're going to close with a word of prayer. And then we'll be dismissed after that. But come now. Let's all join our hearts together in prayer this morning. God, there's no way for us to even put into words how grateful we are and thankful we are for what you did for us. We don't know what Barabbas' response was, but I'm sure we would all stumble around for trying to find the right words for the magnitude of the sacrifice that you made and what you did to go to that cross in our place, to understand what that means for us and what we can have, not just in heaven, but, but what you want us to have here on earth, what you want us to experience here as children of a living God. So God, today we come to you and, and we are so thankful and so grateful for the love that you have extended us. That we know, we feel like we don't deserve it. But God, you felt like we did deserve it. And so, you did it for us. I thank you for these that have responded. Uh, that have made decisions. And uh, by the lifting of their hand, both services today, God, we've seen people... Publicly acknowledge that they were making a decision to follow you and accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. And we celebrate that with them. And God, as they go out from this place, that they would just have this overwhelming, this this realization of who they now are because they have received you and been adopted into the family of God. I thank you for the hope and the promise that you make all things new. And there are some people gathered around these altars today and and there are some people that stumbled through the doors today physically, emotionally, and spiritually that have been reminded today through the power of Christ all things can be made new. You do that. You're you're in the business of the resurrection. You're, You're in the business of redeeming people And so, God, today, those that feel like they stumbled in here in whatever shape, form, or fashion that they came through those doors today, God, just embrace them with your love. I pray that you would embrace them with the hope that can come through you. And, God, we're thankful for our brother Barry and Terry sending us their family, to be a part of our family. God, you've used them so powerfully through the years, and they are a true uh, testimony of your love and a servant's heart. God, today their world's been rocked by a doctor's report and more tests to come. And God, you can see what the doctors see, but you also can see what they can't. And so today we anoint our brother Barry with oil. And in the powerful name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God, we bring him to the throne of a healing God and a loving Father who promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And so, God, we're thankful for that hope today. And, and God, you have blessed so many Uh, doctors and scientists and nurses and all those in the medical fields, God. You've blessed them with talents and abilities to do your work on your behalf. But, God, we know that you can go beyond. You can go farther. You can do what they cannot do. And that's our prayer for our brother Barry, God, that as they perform these next series of tests, they would step back and say, Only God. Only God. But God, most of all, we thank you for the hope that he has that you're walking with him and through him. You've got this. You are in control. And for that, we will give you the glory that you so rightly deserve. God, I pray for the others that are here this morning that are hurting that today they would just, they would literally sense your arms wrapping around them and assuring them it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm your hope. I'm your help. And I promised that I would be. I promise that I will. And so I pray that as they walk out of this place today, that they would just walk out of here carrying a whole lot less burden than what they brought in here. God, we love you so much. We celebrate what you are doing. Because you love us and you love your creation. You want to see men and women and children restored into a relationship with you. And that's what it's truly all about. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. And I pray that you would receive the recognition. You would receive the honor and glory. Because you deserve it. Because you paid it all. And all to you we owe. (laughs) Go with us now that we'll be a church that represents you well. That people would see in and through our lives the power of Jesus. The power of forgiveness. So that they would see you and want to know you and have a relationship with you as well. We love you and we thank you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. love you all. Hope you have a wonderful day.